Sounds like it. Well, every year, I always like to look at the Christmas story, and I pray for fresh eyes and fresh ears. Because it's so easy to think you know the story, right? (laughs) So, Lord, that's my prayer tonight, that... um, we would all have fresh eyes and fresh ears to see and to hear maybe something new that we didn't know that adds to the wonder of this story. And thank you, Lord, for doing that. It kind of all started out, first of all, with me just thinking of the name Emmanuel, God with us. And I pondered that for a while. And came to that beautiful conclusion of the fact that he's still with us. (laughs) He didn't leave. God with us. But this story is filled with wonder and hope and beauty and power and splendor, miracles, signs, and angels, lots of them. I mean, lots of them. And, of course, none other than the angel Gabriel who stands in the very presence of God. That's what he said to Zechariah. When Zechariah was like, really? Is, could this be? How? In other words, Zechariah had a little bit of lack of faith there for the moment. And that was Gabriel's response to him. He said, I am Gabriel who stands in the very presence of God. I don't think he said that meekly. I don't think he said, well, I'm Gabriel. Don't you get it? (laughs) No, I believe he said that with authority and power. And as you remember in that part of the story, he said, Basically, because you didn't believe, because that's what he said, because you didn't believe, you're not going to talk for a while. (laughs) So, yeah, there was some pretty crazy, crazy, crazy things. But as I think you all understand, the story that we're celebrating now, December 24th, 25th, didn't start when... Gabriel showed up to Zechariah to announce the forerunner, John the Baptist. It didn't start then. I mean, we honestly understand that actually the Christmas story started in Genesis, didn't it? I mean, the prophetic word went forth and basically said, um, the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman. But I want to take you to some other interesting parts of the story that go back into the Old Testament. See if I can find it here. I think I know where I'm going. No, I don't know where I'm going. All right. All right. I know where I'm going, really. I know this Bible, but I can't seem to find it right now (laughs) because it's one of those little tiny books, you know, and I am having a hard time finding it. I should have marked it, but I didn't. I'm sorry. All right. Anybody know what page it's on? No. Because <laughs> I, I see this. I couldn't find my regular Bible, so I don't know this one quite as uh, well as far as, you know, sometimes you, you get used to a Bible and you can kind of just crack it open to a place and you, it's right there. I know it's right there. 
and I am having a hard time finding, and this Bible obviously has not been used much because it won't open. <laughs> Jeepers. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I know. He hasn't really used this one. He has other ones he uses, and uh, it, like, it won't open. Where is it? <laughs> I cannot believe, I cannot find it in this Bible. This is embarrassing. No, not really. I don't really care. But <laughs> So I'm going to go to the table of contents yeah. and find this book. This is crazy. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find it right here. That's what I'm going to do. I like reading. I don't know. There's something about reading from an actual Bible. I like doing that than standing up here doing this. But, well, I understand, but not quite. All right, now that I've found this, <laughs> I'm going to actually take you to the book of Ruth. Because I find this incredibly fascinating. There is so many things that I discovered in wanting to discover things new in this story. And um, we go to the book of Ruth. And Ruth, just a little background, was um, a Gentile. Have you ever thought of the fact that Jesus might not have been 100% Jewish? When I think, I, th- I think of that, the scripture, I think it's in Romans where it talks about the one new man. And it's really talking about the Gentile and the Jew coming together, making the one new man. Jesus represented that. He had Gentile blood in him, Joanne. <laughs> Crazy, huh? <laughs> I just never really thought about it. I had never really thought about it till I decided, you know, let's look at the story again. And so in Ruth, so she was the one that she was married to Naomi's son, and Naomi's sons died, and then she had another daughter-in-law, and the other daughter-in-law did not want to go with her, but Ruth was dedicated, and she said, your God's going to be my God. She, you know, you're, where you go, I'm going to go. She loved Naomi, and she wanted to be with Naomi. And so they come back to Israel and um, to the area where she was from, and there's this guy, this guy named Boaz, right? And they end up finding out that, you know, just maybe they should be together, right? So here's this Gentile, Ruth, Moabitess. We've got this Jewish man, Boaz, and they find out that uh, there, there was one other man who could have actually married Ruth before Boaz. There's this whole line of, of um, Oh, rules and regulations, whatever, you know. <laughs> I can't think of what they would call them. But, you know, anyway, but the other guy wasn't interested, so Boaz said, I'll take her. So <laughs> they get married. So in Ruth 4, uh, chapter, or verse 11, it says, 
Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrata and be renowned in Bethlehem. Because Boaz was an Ephratite. Okay. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and she, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And then the women, the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Um, really, in the, I guess in the Hebrew language, it means guardian redeemer. A guardian redeemer. There's also some say kinsman redeemer, redeemer, but I like that guardian. Guardian redeemer. Just think about what God does. He watches over us. He is, guards us. So um, without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in all Israel. Do you think the Yeshua's name has been a little bit renowned in Israel? Just a little bit. <laughs> There's some who don't like him that will not agree with the whole fact that he's Messiah, but I do believe his name has been renowned. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age and for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Now, of course, they're talking about, um, I'm not sure if it was Jesse. I'm not sure if Jesse was the firstborn to Ruth and Boaz. Honestly, I don't know. But, the whole thing with Boaz and Ruth is Jesse was a child, and then, um, no, it wasn't Jesse. It was one other one, Obed. It was Obed, wasn't it? Obed, then Jesse, and then King David, right? And we know from Scripture that where is um, Jesus going to, he's going to reign forever on the throne of King David, right? So here we are, we have a Gentile woman who's been brought into the very lineage lineage of the Messiah. So I I look at the wonder of this story, and I think, wow, God, you had a plan, and you actually included Gentiles in this plan. This is amazing. Now, I don't know, I just think that's really wonderful. I think the whole Christmas story is filled with, with incredible things of people who, like Zechariah, lacked faith. But God still used him and still blessed him. So I look at this story and I see hope. I see hope when you don't have a whole lot of faith. It doesn't mean you're out of the picture. It doesn't mean that you are written off forever by God if your faith is waning. I look at, at Zechariah and I think, here he was, it says uh, both Elizabeth and him that they were righteous and blameless and they followed all the commandments and the statues of God and they longed for a child but she was barren. And here I think what happened with him is that in his old age, that's all he saw was his old age. Right? So here is this lineage of Gentile, oh, Gentile woman brings forth the lineage of the Messiah. And that whole thing of, now we know that it says of Jesus that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. 
Now, I did a little bit of study today and found out some very, very interesting things. Because remember what I said, Boaz was a, a, Bethle- uh, a Ephratite. He was an Ephratite. Now, they don't know whether Bethlehem was a region and Ephrata was inside, you know, as a smaller portion, or it was the other way around. They're not really sure. But it seems from different scriptures that it seems like Bethlehem was probably the region and Ephrata. So actually, when it talks of Jesus' birth, it mentions Ephrata. It doesn't just mention Bethlehem, that he's going to be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata. So that's where we can go back to Boaz and Ruth and discover that's where that Ephrata, because Boaz was an Ephratite. And Ruth was a Gentile. That is, it's amazing to me. I don't know about you, but I'm just like pumped about that. (laughs) So there's this wonder and there's this beauty and there's power and splendor and miracles happen because it was a miracle that Zachariah and Elizabeth bore this child. And from all the way from Genesis up to Ruth, And then you think of King David and all that went on with King David and that his throne would never end, that there would be a king that would sit upon that throne forever, and that is Christ himself. The key of David, I think we sang about the key of David today. But um, here's an interesting thing that I discovered today, which is really, 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 really interesting. In the book of Micah, it talks about, let's see if I'm going to get to it, because I can get to it easy now with this little gadget, sort of fighting a Bible that hasn't been used and it can't even open it. It's like it won't even crack open. It's crazy. Oops, forgot to turn my phone off. (laughs) Oh, well, that was a Merry Christmas from Barbara Heil. Okay, so in Micah 4 8, and it mentions 4 8 or 5 2, I'll have to look. Yeah, 4 8. There's this prophetic word, and it's in this prophetic word, it's talking of the coming, the coming one, the Messiah, the, um, the one that will be ruler. But it mentions this really interesting thing about a tower of the flock. I want to tell you what I found out about this tower of the flock. Have you ever heard about this? This is so interesting. The one thing about our God is he's very detailed, and he, he does these little amazing little things in the bigger picture, and then you discover these little things that when you study the scripture, you find out these things. You find out that Ruth is in the lineage and that a guardian redeemer has been added, you know, because she gave birth to this child and here is this lineage and Naomi is excited. There's prophecy going on. And maybe those men, when they said to Boaz, you know, she can be yours, maybe they felt the power of the Holy Spirit. Who knows? We weren't there. We can just have fun with the story and think, you know, maybe there was a little bit of something and maybe there was nothing. 
Maybe they had no clue whatsoever. You know, maybe they didn't feel the Holy Spirit when they're saying these kind of prophetic kind of things over uh, Ruth and Boaz. But anyway, this effort in Ephrata, this uh, tower of the flock. This this will tie in the whole thing about these shepherds. Remember about the shepherds being out there and they're watching all night. Well, this is one of the things that we we can kind of most likely determine that Jesus was probably born in the springtime sometime. Very possible. We all know he's not born December 25th. That is out of the picture. But this is one we celebrate, and it's okay. At least we, you know, we have fun and enjoy it and celebrate that he came. But it's very most likely that he was born in the springtime. And this is why. Is this whole thing with the Tower of the Flock. And it says that Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata. And um, it mentions Rachel's tomb. It, it talks about all this kind of stuff. And here, this um, uh, the Tower of the Flock is where, when the shepherds are out there, and these are not ordinary shepherds. They're not low caste, like sometimes there's been said that these are low-caste shepherds, like no one would even want to believe them if they said anything. Well, that's not true. I mean, I've heard that. I've heard that they're just lowly shepherds. These are not ordinary shepherds. They might even be priestly shepherds because what they were doing during this time was they're watching for ewes that go into labor and they would, when they would discover one that would go into labor in the middle of the night, that's why they were up. They were watching all night long. That's why they were up, watching for the, the ewes to go into labor. And so then what they would do is they would take, if they found one that was going into labor, they would take it to the tower of the flock. Now wait till you hear what happens at the tower of the flock. <laughs> so they would take the lamb at the tower of the flock, and uh, they would, or the you, and they would, uh, you know, help this little you have this baby lamb. And then, you know what they would do? First, they would inspect it. That's why these were not ordinary shepherds, because they had to inspect this lamb, because they were shepherds that took care of the, the ones that were born to be sacrificed. And so then what they would do, they would inspect the little lamb, and if the lamb past inspection for a sacrificial lamb, they would wrap it in swaddling clothes. <laughs> hmm, interesting. I wonder where that comes from. <laughs> and they would do that so this lamb, when it's tender and newborn, would not get harmed or damaged because it's a sacrificial lamb. So, Interesting. So I'm not saying this is exactly what happened, but it's very possible that at this place, the Tower of the Flock is where Jesus was born. It would make sense, wouldn't it, when you think about that he was laid in a manger, feeding trough, basically, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Do you not think that maybe God would ordain something like that? Tower of the flock is where they take the lamb, the ewes to give birth, see if they're the sacrificial lamb, 
wrap them in swaddling clothes to keep them safe and warm. It's just an interesting thought. I'll let you think about that and whether, you know, there are some that say that that's, they're pretty sure that's exactly what took place. Now, I've been to the Church of the, Nat- the Holy Nativity in Bethlehem. And um, this year was my first time going to that. And um, I would have to say that I did not feel anything there. I felt like it was just a place that they decided could be possibly be it. But who knows on that? Because the Tower of the Flock, as far as we know, does not exist anymore. And they can't find Rachel's tomb. And it says, basically, that Jesus was born somewhere around that area. When you look at all the prophetic words and stuff for that uh, birth. But I just find that incredibly fascinating. And it would sound like something God would do. Because he is very detailed in his presentation of just about everything throughout scripture. And when you read, you know, different scriptures and then you key them back to uh, different uh, things, you find out, wow, this is what he meant. Because, you know, we most movies, cartoons about the, you know, Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem, they show them coming there exhausted and they show that the place of the inn that some some even portray that they're very rude to them and honestly back then hospitality was very high in priority back in the biblical days it was very high priority now if you remember like i said here is boaz and ruth in the lineage of the messiah that means that the land that Boaz owned, because he owned land, we, we can read it in scripture, that he owned land, and the way the Jewish people did it, there was that inheritance. That land did not leave uh, a lineage of people. It was always passed on, passed on, passed on. So it's very possible that when Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem, that they had a place to stay it's very possible they had family members there. Most likely, highly likely, they had family members. And so they went there, and it, and it wasn't like she, you know, they went there, and then all of a sudden she started having labor. There's actually a little bit of, they don't, we don't know the time frame on it, but it says then she went into labor. Well, here's the other thing that we don't really know about this story. Now, the fact that Mary became pregnant before they were married wasn't a good thing, right? (laughs) I mean, well, it was a good thing when we understand Scripture, but not a good thing for them, right? And so, you know, we don't really know whether or not anybody knew or just a few people knew in their family. We don't know. I mean, I would think there had to be some that I would think Mary's mother would know but we don't know how that all went. So I'm thinking that maybe possibly the people in Bethlehem, maybe those family members had no clue because it's very possible that they had a place to stay, but not a private place. And I don't know about you, but I don't, because they had like upper rooms, guest rooms they call them, because, like, in the King James, it says there is no room in the inn. Well, that is a, not a proper translation, 
actually, of the Hebrew word. It's, it should be guest room or um, upper room, um, guest chamber. It, it really is more that and not an inn like we think of, like an inn, a hotel, uh, you know, all that. Um, so it's actually, I discovered, was a improper translation of that part of the story. So going to Bethlehem, they had family members there. And, but when they say there is no room, it was probably more they had no private privacy, and here she went into labor. You know, God ordained all this. He ordained the senses to be taken because he had already prophetically spoken that he would be born in Bethlehem of Ephrata. And so did they, you know, decide to go out and try to find a, a private place? seems like that would make sense to do that. And just with all the different studies and the tower of the flock that's mentioned in Scripture and Micah and, and, and then finding out what the tower of the flock is, actually is, you know, what they used it for, it would make total sense to me that God would set something like that up. Just like, because that's the Lamb of God. And you remember John the Baptist, what did he say? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. God is detailed. He is very detailed. He has the big picture, but then he has the details that actually enhance the big picture. So we have a God who brings us this wonderful, beautiful, powerful, splendor, uh, splendorous, is that a word? Miraculous um, story about the birth of his son. He has old people and young people involved. He has people full of faith involved and not so full of faith involved. He has men, he has women, he has rich, he has poor, all involved during this. He has the powerful and the humble. He has the fearful and the faithful. He has all of these people in all from Zacharias to Elizabeth to King Herod. I would put King Herod as one of the powerful and one of the fearful. Because if you remember, the wise men came and, you know, was looking for the king of the Jews. And that freaked Herod out because he's thinking, oh, I am going to get my throne usurped. So that's why he had all those babies killed, remember? So we got the horrible part of the story is that. But do you realize that whole part, Matthew understood that whole prophetic thing about Rachel crying for her children. It's, there's so, I mean, I really could do a series on the story of the birth of Christ because it's so jam-packed full of really wonderful little aspects here and there. But um, I, I think what I want to have us go home with is the hope that is in this story. And the hope is the fact that he used all sorts of people so we can all be used for God. Old, young, rich, poor, I don't know if we have any what I would call real rich people in the room right now, but, <laughs> but <laughs> I guess we all it all determines how you look at rich, right? <laughs> I would consider myself very rich, just not monetarily. That's for sure. 
Um, but to have this hope in us for, I think, even his second coming. And the, even as I studied this, I, the thought that came to me that at his first coming, there was such an amount of angelic activity. I sit there and I think, wow, will there be a lot of angelic activity on his second coming? <laughs> Makes you, it's one of those kind of questions that came into my mind as I studied this. <clears throat> but um, to have that kind of hope to know that God uses all sorts of people he, used the, he uses the Jew and the Gentile. He used both of them to bring the lineage of Christ. You know, he, he chose the Jewish people. You know, he, he basically told them, I'm choosing you because you're not, you're not the biggest or the strongest. Because basically he said, I want my glory to be revealed. So he picked this little tiny group of people who I have, since going to Israel so many times, I have become incredibly grateful to the Jewish people because they guarded the word of God. They guarded it for us. Because, I mean, <laughs> I've read umpteen stories of rabbis running into, at, during persecution times, running into burning synagogues to save the word. To save the word. And if they had not done all of this, they had not meticulously wrote it down time and time and time again and, and then orally spoke it forth, we wouldn't have it. I mean, and that, that revelation came to me when the, I think it was the first time I went to Israel and I was standing at, at a replica because they don't actually show you the real uh, scroll of Isaiah because it's down, way down deep inside in this, climatized place um, but as I stood and I looked at the scroll of Isaiah you know from the Dead Sea Scrolls and I was I just got overwhelmed with gratefulness to a people who meticulously wrote the word down so I could have the word so you can have the word so he God is so meticulous in that's what I, I think is just the wonder of the story God is so incredibly meticulous and he chooses and he picks, you know, how the story is going to unfold in places like Bethlehem, Ephrata, with Boaz's and Ruth's and Zacharias and Elizabeth's. And, but yet in, in the whole story, we see that God uses imperfect people to see his perfect plan unfold. It is amazing to me. So to have that kind of hope and wonder of a story that if it wasn't for if it wasn't for this story if it wasn't for the Ruth and the Boaz coming together God had a plan all along if it wasn't for the fact that God said it'll be in Bethlehem Ephrata I mean he had it all figured out and he knew that King David would be born from this couple it would be in that lineage and that his throne, that he would be the man after his own heart, and he would have someone that he would put on David's throne that would rule forever, and that is our Messiah, our King, our God, who came and willfully gave his life for us. So we have this hope. We have this hope that is eternal, and we have this hope 
that if he were able to fulfill all of those prophetic words, it's amazing to think about that, we have this hope that he will fulfill every prophetic word of his second coming. We can know that he will do this without a doubt because the odds of him fulfilling even one of the prophetic words at his first coming is astronomical. I mean, I have the numbers. If you're interested, I wrote them down, but I, don't, I know they're in here somewhere on my notes. Let's see if I can find it better than I found the <laughs> in that Bible. Uh, so one person fulfilling um, just eight is one in one with a hundred or with seventeen zeros. A person fulfilling forty-eight is one in ten to the hundred and fifty-seventh power. Yeah, and he did it. <laughs> so we can rest assured that he'll do it again when he returns. And here is here's the hope. What part do you get to play? of the possibility of his second coming. Now, you might not have a big part like Zacharias and Elizabeth or like the Mary and Joseph or, or that, but I can guarantee you that every time you preach the good news to someone and you water or you plant, you are playing a part for his second coming because if that person's eternity is changed forever, you played your part. You played your part on his second coming because then that person, when Jesus returns, will not be fearful, but full of hope and excited to see their Savior. So we get to play our part. So I will leave you with this scripture, 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. Know that you were not ransomed, or not, that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So if Jesus was born in the tower of the flocks and wrapped like the sacrificial lambs were wrapped, you have been ransomed, not with silver and gold, but with the most precious thing that has ever existed, and that is the blood of Christ Jesus himself, so that we can have hope and wonder and beauty, and we can see miracles and signs, and we can have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit because he is our Emmanuel with us. Amen? Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. May you be blessed beyond your wildest dreams. (laughs) And may you have prophetic dreams. We got some old men out here. They, you know, it says, the Bible says old men will dream dreams. So, hey, you old men out there, dream some dreams. (laughs) The young men will prophesy. Prophesy, son, prophesy. (laughs)